You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast series. I have Michael D. West. He's the CEO of a company called AgeX, the letter X. The website is age, the letter X, Inc.com. So agexinc.com. I had Mike uh, six months to a year ago, and I wanted to have him back because I know the field of uh, aging is, uh, is developing very quickly. So Mike, thanks for coming back. How are you doing? It's my pleasure. No, it's, it's, it's good to talk to you during a holiday. It's nice and quiet time. <laughs> First of all, um, I wanted to, in general, what is the premise of Ajax? What do you guys work on there? Yeah. So as the name implies, um, we're focused on the biology of aging. Um, you know, it's it's not just because a few of us are afflicted with the, the problem of aging. Well, actually, we all are. Um, but it's, um, it's a really a, a national priority for the United States right now and a lot of other countries around the world. In part because of this unique demographic shift, you know, um, you know, in the United States we have this baby boom phenomenon. You remember the story during World War II, all the soldiers came back and made a lot of babies with their wives uh, or mm-hmm. others. And that is a baby boom. Yeah, yeah, and it's this big surge of the population of you know in a certain age category, and they're all growing old right now. And the problem just isn't with the growing old and consequences of that and dying and so on. It's chronic degenerative diseases associated with aging. So, you know, if you visit a nursing home where people are not capable of taking care of themselves anymore, you'll see people with Alzheimer's disease or, you know, the pain of arthritis makes it difficult for them to stand up or heart failure, you know, where they uh, just simply can't get get up and about. And um, these chronic degenerative diseases of aging uh, are the unique focus of our company. So we're interested in using insights into the basic clockwork mechanisms of aging itself, but the goal is to develop therapies for these chronic degenerative conditions as a first priority. Are you looking at the um, the chronic conditions that affect the most people and focusing on those first? Because I know there's a host of them and you can't look at everything. So how do you narrow your focus to be effective in the world of aging? Yeah, so you know, you're, you're you're talking about things that you know we've been thinking. I've been thinking about for 
about 40 years. Uh, I've been working on this problem for a while. And it's a bit of a balancing act, really. What, if you focus on specific diseases of aging, like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, are you really working on aging? And is that the, the best use of our time? Well, let me try to frame the uh, question a, a bit differently. If, um, if you take a disease like um, diabetes, so, you know, there's different kinds of diabetes, but basically in diabetes, you're, you can't ha handle blood sugar the way you, you should. And the consequences of, and in the case of children that have uh, juvenile onset diabetes, there's a particular cell in the pancreas that gets lost that makes insulin and um, the consequences of that. So let's say that you have uh, diabetes. We know what causes it now. And, um, but the consequences of having that disease are maybe you have what's known as diabetic retinopathy. So you can actually bleed in your retina and, and go blind. Or perhaps later in life, you might have um, vascular problems in your legs and might have to have a foot or a leg amputated of all things. Uh, you might have non-healing ulcers on your skin. Um, are those diabetes or is that diabetic retinopathy? Well, they're all a consequence of the disease we call diabetes. They're sequelae. They're things that happen as a result of that primary disease. In aging, we believe, gerontologists believe, that a whole host of these problems that cost our country so much and cost you know, the, the price of disability and suffering for families um, are the result of a single process, just like diabetes. It's the biology of aging. So what we're doing is, although we're, we're studying the basic clockwork mechanisms that cause aging in your brain and in your skin and in your lungs and everywhere else, and then we're applying it, though, to specific uh, very large uh, and unmet needs in medicine, uh, you know, such as heart failure, for instance, the uh, heart disease being the number one killer in the United States, a, a trillion dollar market in the United States, by the way, hmm. trillion with a T. Yeah. Like, big you know, big a, unmet yeah. needs. Yeah. So uh, it seems like a lot of medicine is okay. Let's identify a specific condition, find medicines to treat it or manage it. And then Every once in a while, there's these overall theories of what's going on. And the two kind of, it seems like, you know, science oscillates back and forth between the two. So what is the role of Ajax? Is it, is it to come up with a theory of aging and senescence and then to develop uh, protocols to help conditions? Or are you focused yeah. on specific conditions and you leave the, uh, the overall big broad theorizing to uh, other companies and people? Uh, we, we've kind of had to do the trailblazing thing. So, um you know, back in the 1990s, uh, I'd started a company called Geron. It, you know, Geron is the Greek word for old person. It's the root word of gerontology, which is the scientific study of aging. And there, uh, you know, same concept, right? Trying to understand the fundamental causes behind aging itself, not the aging of your coronary arteries or, you know, the cause of 
osteoporosis, you know, bone loss with aging, but aging itself, and then apply it those to specific diseases. And we had to trailblaze. So I thought that at the time that the aging of cells in our body were very important in aging. So, you know, get, get a little biology here. We're, our bodies, you know, we think of humans as this human form, the eyes and ears and, and everything else that we recognize as our fellow human being. But in reality, we're made of trillions of living entities that are cells, that are each are independent living entities that are sort of glued together to make all the tissues in our body, Trill, trillions of cells. And the cells in our body um, have a clockwork mechanism. Uh, we can study the aging of cells in the laboratory dish. And so in those early days, we, as I say, trailblazed, we uh, used emerging um, DNA technologies to search, sift through the some 30,000 genes in the human DNA to find a gene that we thought was behind the aging of cells. And... Um, got the gene and uh, showed that indeed it was a, a key that winds that clockwork mechanism. Kind of like, you know, the old key that winds an antique clock, you know, that you keep under the clock on the mantle of your fireplace. That key that rewinds the clock uh, allows babies to always be born young. It allows the human species to continue forever. And the gene's called now called telomerase. T-E-L-O-M-E-R-A-S-E. Telo meaning end part. Um, it's the end of your chromosomes that this enzyme works at. And it's sort of it's sort of like a fuse on a stick of dynamite or a candle wick or something. As you age, the telomere shortens and telomerase uh, resets that clock. It extends the telomere. And uh, we found that gene and showed that it actually immortalizes human cells. It's an immortality enzyme for, um, for cells. So then uh, at, uh, Geron later developed that for some cancer applications, um, not pursuing the aging ap applications. And uh, now other groups are uh, picking up the ball and carrying that forward. So yeah, it's been a mix over the last few decades of trailblazing, doing basic research that could lead to new therapeutics development. And we're really going after okay. the single most powerful things that we can do to impact aging in our lifetime. Well, if you're okay with it, we'll, we'll focus on telomerase for a little while. But I had thought that, um, you know, when, uh, you know, a zygote is formed that, you know, the most of the epigenetic marks uh, are erased. And that is a critical part of the rebirth or the birth process yeah. you know, is how does telomerase figure into that and is that is that the case is that a necessary yeah. and significant yeah, condition yeah so there's uh so let's let's jump to that because that's that's probably the most amazing thing of all is uh, the resetting of this clock so every generation you know sperm and egg get together and they make a baby and the baby's always born young right uh you can be quite old and a father or a child, uh, and uh, a woman can still, you know, have egg cells. Um, the baby's always born young. Uh, it doesn't matter how old the parents are. How does that work? Well, to cut to the chase, back in 97, about the same time that we, you know, were tracking down and proving this whole telomere hypothesis, um, Dolly the sheep was cloned. Some of the listeners may remember. And what intrigued me about uh, cloning 
is that in cloning, you take a, a cell from the body and you put it into the egg cell, just as though it were sperm, uh, even though it wasn't. It was a skin cell or it could be any kind of cell. And the cloned animals appeared to be young. Um, there was rumors that uh, Dolly was actually born old, that that cloning process did not reset the clock of aging. That is no longer believed, well, it never was believed by people who really understood the science. And um, so the evidence suggested that by putting a, an aged cell back into an egg cell, the aging process could be set in reverse and set back to the beginning of life. Well, fast forward to the present day, we now know very much that that's exactly what happens. And not only that, we understand now, just like this, we found this key telomerase that could rewind the clock of cell aging, um, we understand in significant detail how to reset, to reverse the aging of cells, reset this clock, just like the egg cell does, without using an egg cell, just using defined molecules and uh, so can reverse the aging of cells in a laboratory dish. And uh, now this is, I know, sounding a bit amazing. People may think this is a bit far-fetched, but um, leading aging researchers around the world are very optimistic that this technology may have applications in the body to actually reverse uh, the aging of people, not just cells in the dish. I have a question here. What if you had a, you know, uh, someone that was 80 years old and you were able to, you know, grow a new liver that was a, I don't know, the equivalent somehow of a 20 year old liver and implant it into them, or you were able to somehow selectively work on the cells of that person's liver and de-age them back to the point of, let's say being 20 years old, right. would that create a dysfunction in the body? Is that possible? Would that even be a therapy for someone? Yeah. So that's exactly what we're trying to do uh, at Ajax. Um, there, we have some competitors already in the in the race. There's a company here in California called Turn, like Turn Back the Clock, I guess. And um, David Sinclair's group at, at Harvard Medical School have spun out a, a company. Uh, we're all trying to do the exact same thing, well, more or less exactly the same, which is to um, develop this same age reprogramming, age reversal, really. Uh, you know, I, I use, I'm a, I'm a card-carrying gerontologist. So to use the term age reversal, you know, you might see it thrown around on television, television ads over skin creams or something. For a gerontologist to actually use that term, that's pretty significant. Uh, that reflects, uh, we, you know, we wouldn't use terms like that unless it was ab absolutely true because it sounds provocative and is provocative, uh, we also believe it's true. We know how to reverse the aging of human cells in the dish, and we know how to package up this therapy so that theoretically it could be applied in the body. And as you said, you know, it could be used potentially on a single uh, organ or tissue like the liver or potentially throughout the body. And would it have health consequences, undesired, you know, side effects? You know, that's what we don't know at this point. Um, the I'm science sure. looks yeah, really intriguing. Um, the major concern that we all have is that the sort of yin and yang of aging 
if aging is the yin, uh, the yang is cancer. So we, I think it's pretty much a consensus in the scientific community that um, we age as an anti-cancer protection mechanism. It helps, helps us live a relatively long time, relative to a mouse, let's say, you know, a few decades without getting cancer. And aging is a way the body protects itself from, become, from getting cancer. And um, so if we reverse- How, how does that happen, by the way? I, I haven't heard that. How, is, how does aging protect someone from cancer? And then it seems to uh, predispose them. Or, what's that? Can you explain more deeply? Yeah, so the, you know, the, the, the concept, it, 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 the scientific term for it is antagonistic pleiotropy. So um, that will go into all that. So the, the concept is, let's take a, let, let's use the analogy of a car rather than get into cell biology. And forgive me if this sounds too elementary, but it, it's really to the point. If you had a car with um, just by chance, the accelerator sticks down, right? And you'd say, well, I can hit the brake. Well, the brake gets broken. Okay. I got two bad streaks of luck. So you've got a runaway car, but you know, if you only got an eighth of a tank of gas and so you could be thinking, okay, if I can just not hit anybody until the car runs out of gas, um, it eventually will stop. And, um, that's what nature does. So it, um, there are mutations in cells that are rare, just like, you know, accelerator sticking would be rare, uh, called oncogenes and, uh, they can become activated. That's sort of a stuck accelerator. And the breaking mechanisms that can get broken in cells are called tumor suppressor genes. If both of those get um, broken, um, we still have one hope. And that's if cells in the body have a finite ability to replicate, that's the cell aging clock. Uh, The cells will stop dividing because of aging. And uh, we see that. So in, in the human body, we, you know, if you, or even 40 or 50 years old, you have the beginnings of cancer and the cells stop dividing because of senescence or aging. And um, so we believe that if all the cells in the body uh, were immortal, meaning they could proliferate forever because they had telomerase turned on, uh, you would increase the risk of cancer as a result. So all of we're doing here is trying to design new therapies, recognizing the potential yin and yang of cancer and aging to find a way to extend human lifespan rather dramatically um, without unduly increasing the risk of cancer. And uh, so it makes it a, a like, you know, walking a tightrope. You, know, you could fall off one side, or you could fall off the other. And we got to find this delicate balancing act to do this. Is it possible to do? I, I think so, because uh, there are species, even vertebrate species, that uh, don't show any evidence of aging, and um, and they don't necessarily get cancer. So we th- we think there's a way to accomplish all this. Well, it may be easier to fine tune the balance to slow aging, and to keep it at a certain point than to reverse it. That's my, I guess, gut feel based on what you're saying because yeah, it is well, a balance in the first you know, place. Let's let's bring it down to earth. So we've been talking about some pretty amazing things. If you walk into a nursing home today, you know, you go see a loved one that's in a nursing home and you see how we, the human species, ages today. Any thoughtful person 
especially someone with a medical research background, would immediately say, we can do better than this, right? Putting grandma or grandpa or your mom or dad or whoever into a facility like this where they, you know, that we'd rather have them home, we'd rather have them being able to, you know, walk down to the corner store to be recognize the faces of their family members and their names, you know, all these things. And what we're very confident about, I think every serious gerontologist I interact with, we're all very confident that we're going, we know enough about aging now, we're going to be able to, as you say, extend human lifespan, you know, healthy life. We call it health span, by the way. You know, the goal is to increase the number of years we're free of debilitating disease. So extending health span, um, we've already done it. You know, I mean, you know, back at the turn of the last century, 1900, um, the average lifespan was something like 45 to uh, eight years. And so we've dramatically extended health span already just using antibiotics and things. We're very confident with this new understanding of aging, we'll be able to further and rather markedly improve the quality of life and health span. Will we be able to, and some people predict, um, dramatically extend human lifespan, even in the lifespan of many now living, you know, so that people may live to be two or 300 years of age uh, and uh, be healthy in those two or 300 years? That's difficult to predict. You know, we'll really have to see the technologies we have are, are potentially capable of renewing life indefinitely on a cellular level. How this plays out in the clinic, you know, what side effects these new therapies have, this is really a brave new world. And um, it require clinical trials and, you know, many, many researchers entering the field, you know, driving this field forward, pushing this big rock uphill. You know, it's a lot of hard work, uh, but it's inevitable that these technologies are going to be implemented uh, mm-hmm. in medicine. Uh, there's, there's no question in my mind. What, what interesting insights do you have from studying the aging process? I know that's a huge question, but I'll, I'll limit it. Um, so, for instance, does, do all parts of the human body appear to age at the same rate, or does some lead and some lag? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think they do age at the same rate. Um, I think there's a, there's a big difference. We don't know about um, a lot of the tissues in the body because they're, you know, it's, you know, people don't usually offer up their brain for biopsy and this sort of thing. So uh, we know quite a bit about blood aging because people are willing to donate blood uh, and skin aging because, you know, people will offer up a skin biopsy. I, I think I've been chopped up quite a few times in my arms, donating pieces of skin, pieces of me for research. Um, so, you know, some tissues like uh, skin and blood, you know, we know more about than others. But the, the really encouraging thing is that the evidence suggests that aging is not, we've got different things in our body may age at different rates, but that the aging process is conserved throughout the body. You know, um, our skin is aging for the same reason that our bones are aging, for instance, or our muscle is aging. It's the same process. And so, um, you know, that's the basis for enthusiasm. If every 
thing in our body aged by completely different mechanisms. And, you know, this is going to happen in our lifetime. But the good news is uh, it appears that there's a common mechanism. You can see that, for instance, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever heard of uh, progeria. You can Google it. And uh, these are children, a rather rare inherited disease. These children grow old and um, die in their teenage years. And you'll see that they have gray hair or loss of hair. Oftentimes, these children are wearing hats because they've lost all their hair. You know, osteoporosis, and uh, they die of a heart attack or stroke, even though they don't have the classic risk factors of smoking and, uh, you know, eating too many steaks or, you know, high stress environment or something. It's, and but my point is, um, we understand the biology of aging in progeria, what's wrong in their DNA, and it manifests itself throughout the body. So their skin is aging prematurely, their bones are aging prematurely, their uh, coronary arteries in their heart are aging prematurely. And uh, so this is, you know, one way you can just see that nature teaches us that aging has this common mechanism throughout the body. What, what uh, quantifies the ticking of the aging clock? Is it a cell division that makes a cell tick one more tick towards aging? Or, you know, I mean, it's probably a complicated question. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, you know, it is a little bit complicated, but I'll just give you a quick kind of perspective on that. So in our blood cells, um, I think that the aging is primarily this telomere clock that we mentioned earlier. So every time the blood cells divide um, without telomerase, sufficient levels of telomerase, the immortalizing enzyme, telomeres are shortening. And you can see this in blood. Uh, you can actually, there's you know companies that will measure the telomere length in your blood and tell you how old your blood cells are. And if, as you say, if you speed that clock up, you can actually accelerate the aging uh, of your blood in your immune system. An example would be uh, HIV and AIDS. So years ago, we did the pioneering work on this. We um, looked at this clock of aging in normal people and in people with HIV virus and showed that the virus, fighting the virus was causing your uh, blood cells to replicate way too quickly. And the blood, the age of the immune cells that were fighting the virus called CD8 lymphocytes was that of a hundred year old people, even though they were typically 30 year old um, AIDS infected uh, patients. And so that's an example of how, you know, you can speed up this clock by uh, forcing cells to divide too fast. Um, there, there are other mechanisms of aging. There's other clockwork mechanisms, a big part of what we do at Ajax is working on uh, trailblazing, you know, in this new area. We call it induced tissue regeneration. So very early in life, telomerase gets shut off, but also shut off is an intrinsic ability of the body to regenerate or to heal itself. When your body's first forming, if you have a heart attack, the body, the heart just regenerates and grows back. It, in an older person, you have a heart attack, it just scars over because you've lost that regenerative capacity. We think that's fundamental to the epigenetics of aging. Um, what, you know, the, that's the changes in the DNA that um, lay upon the DNA or epigenetic changes. And, um, and so the good news is, though, all of these changes that 
account for aging, the loss of regeneration, this telomere clock, they're all reversible using what we call reprogramming technologies. And um, it, it's the basis, as you pointed out, of life renewing itself generation from generation. It's the reason babies are born young, even though the parents might be older. And what we've done is quite convincingly shown that that works in a laboratory dish. And the next brave step is to apply it to humans in human clinical trials. And those are, as we're now entering the year 2020, uh, that will probably be the legacy of aging research in the, uh, this decade is the actual testing of these really powerful new technologies uh, for the problem of human aging. Well, I think uh, so it's done in the dish. And then what about in mouse or rat models? That's usually a precursor to uh, human trials, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, the mouse is um, not an optimal um, model for human aging. They mice typically die of cancer very early. They typically don't you know, get coronary disease and all these things. Uh, but um, it's a routinely you know, used model and even for aging, even though they don't age typically like humans. You can engineer a mouse to age like a human um, by playing with their telomeres and so on. But anyway, using the, these models, right, that there are um, numerous groups. Again, this is a bit of a competitive race. Uh, you know, we, um, we're a public company, so we don't normally uh, talk about results until they're published, but um, it shouldn't be a surprise that we're doing animal work. Uh, as are other groups. Some uh, groups like out of Stanford and Harvard Medical School have published some pre preliminary data showing that the, this age reversal technology actually takes, uh, takes this aging clock backwards in time and uh, induces regeneration in animals. Uh, it's all preliminary data at this point, but it's very promising. What could be some of the, uh, the negative effects well, first of all, let's talk about the, the, the beneficial ones. You know, I don't know what you can say. And of course, if you can, it's okay. But, you know, promising results. Are you seeing a cascade of youth? I mean, well, it's not a word. Becoming more youthful or uh, invigoration it's when a, an, you know, an animal is treated? Or is it um, appear systemically very quickly all over the place? Like, how do you observe change? You know, you, what, you, you were struggling to find a word there for euthening or something, right? That, that's an example. Exactly. Of how, <laughs> uh, it's an example of how um, new and, um, it, it, I don't know what the right word is either, explosive maybe this, this field is going to be in that we don't even have terminology for a lot of this um, science at this point with the invents new vocabulary. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So what, did you ask some, what some of the positive and negative consequences were? Is that what your question was? Well, I'll, I'll get into negative possible consequences. But before that, you know, again, I don't know what you can say, but if this has been tested on, you know, various animals, what's observed? Is it that the entire animal becomes more youthful all at once? Or is it a cascade where certain body systems are affected first and then the whole animal? Like, have you gotten to that point where you're able to do this and observe a change in, uh, you know, in any animal? Yeah. So um, where things are at, I, I don't know everything going on in um, other laboratories, of course, but I hear, you know, we, we the scientists uh, chat and 
hallways and meetings and things. It would appear that the changes are indeed um, systemic, meaning you know body-wide changes. Um, but it's too early to say that with certainty. And, and then we have the caveat, as I mentioned, that mice uh, age in fundamentally different ways than humans. So we're not sure, even though uh, age reversals appears to be occurring in numerous tissues in, in the mouse, uh, we don't know um, how applicable that will be to human, of course, without doing a human clinical trial. And hopefully that, uh, you know, the therapy can be applied to, let's say, blood, you know, a transfusion of uh, reprogrammed cells instead of something invasive. But uh, if it is systemic in effect, maybe that's possible. Likely what happens is um, in drug development, if you have a, um, a, a new breakthrough technology, some of the your listeners may have heard of CAR-T. There's a new way of training immune cells to attack cancer. And uh, it right off the bat showed some really, well, cured cancer in some patients, uh, you know, wonderful stories. You know, young children that were dying of uh, blood cancers and uh, the cancer is gone, you know, as a result of the new therapies, just amazing. And um, nevertheless, because they could potentially be used in many cancers, um, some of these new cancer therapies, um, the way companies developed them was one cancer type at a time. So they got FDA approval, you know, to use this or that therapy for like melanoma, you know, skin cancer. And um, knowing that the, the therapy could also be used for some other cancer type, like kidney cancer or something. And uh, then they would go separately in the future and then ask again for the FDA for the approval for this additional cancer type. We think a similar thing will occur in aging. So we have here a technology that we think affects the aging of virtually all, most at least, um, tissues in the body. And um, so it could be used for numerous diseases associated with aging, aging itself. But we don't think that we'll be approaching the FDA for initially for an approval to sell therapy, assuming it passes all the hurdles, you know, and becomes an approved therapy uh, for aging. It would likely be for heart failure. Even though it's treating aging itself, uh, one disease at a time, and then expand, we'll likely seek expansion of the approval for, you know, the aging of the musculoskeletal system and, and other tissues in the body. Well, I was going to say, you know, getting an IRB to accept uh you know, any study on people would be hard enough. And then anti-aging, yeah, that, there's all kinds of ethics issues. So yeah. that might be a good way to uh, yeah. to step aside it, you know, step aside and uh, just work on, like you said, heart failure or other conditions. Yeah, so a lot of people... Which is, is beneficial enough, you know. There's, a lot, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, okay, so if we went after aging, right, right off the bat as the end point, um, for, first of all, we'd have to get everyone to agree that aging is a disease. And there's a lot of pushback on that. You know, the um, organizations that represent the elderly sector of our population resent their followers being called diseased, you know? And uh, so there's the politics of it, um, the practicality of it. It's not a disease category currently. Uh, but my, my point is that 
you know, it doesn't matter what we call it. What matters is what we do about it. And the, maybe I'm a soapbox, soapbox just for a second. You know, aging is robbing from everyone uh, that lives long enough, our, lo our loved ones and ourselves, of quality of life. Um, it's costing our nation trillions of dollars in the entitlement programs, and it's getting worse rapidly because of the baby boom population. What matters is that we, we take this incredibly powerful new science that we have in medical research today. It's hard to communicate in a few sentences how powerful it is compared to medical research just one or two decades ago. To take this new science and apply it to this problem in a compassionate manner to, as I said earlier, to extend health span, to allow people to live uh, healthy, independent, happy lives longer and uh, reduce this burden on individuals and on our society. And um, it's important what we do about it, not what we call it. I don't care what you, if you say it's an anti-aging drug or an anti-heart failure drug. These things don't matter. What matters is what, what we do. But we, and by the way, the world looks to the United States for leadership in a lot of these areas. Just, it's just a fact. And, um, you know, I really think it's incumbent on us to uh, the thought leaders and policy leaders in the United States to listen to the, what scientists are saying and what they say they can do and um, to all of us to lend a hand to make all these new developments happen as quickly as possible. Well, very good. Any sense of, uh, how long it will be until you have, uh, you know, a clinical trial going uh, in people for any condition, you know, heart failure, et cetera. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're a public company. So um, um, we, I have to do all that, the, you know, describing timelines and milestones through the proper channels. But let me just say we're, um, we're, um, we're looking at um, months and a short number of years, not decades. This is not, um, uh, you know, basic research like we've seen. And if you were asking me this in the 1980s and 1990s, um, you know, it, it was, we really were still doing pre-trailbilizing, right? I mean, you know, charting out the form of the continents. We weren't yet exploring them. And um, it was very early days. But now we have um, in the laboratory therapies that could be administered to humans. And uh, we have to do requisite safety studies, you know, in, in, in the laboratory and in animals and so on to demonstrate that these products are safe and that they show evidence that they're working. Uh, so that takes, you know, months and or years, but not, uh, not decades. So that's about the best I can do at the moment in terms of timelines. No, that's, that's helpful. That's fine. So what's the best way for uh, people to find out more and see what Ajax is working on and, you know, follow along? Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, you know, we have, uh, we're a public company, so people can read our, um, we're, we'll be putting out our uh, 10K, you know, which is your animal, your annual um, uh, SEC filings. Uh, and uh, we post videos occasionally and updates on what we're doing. Um the uh, I mentioned uh, a friend, but collaborator or, but, and competitor, uh, David Sinclair at Harvard Medical School. He just uh, recently wrote a book um, that we call its name offhand, uh, 
uh, David Sinclair at Harvard Medical School on, uh, on aging. And uh, it includes in it a discussion of these newer technologies. Um, and um, I, I have a few years ago, I did a video called The Future of Human Aging. It's online on YouTube. It was, uh, gosh, I think that was about three years ago. And it was when we just began talking about these um, really powerful new technologies. And, um, and, uh, and then I have a little homebrewed set of videos called uh, Back to Immortality, which are, lays out some of my philosophical non-corporate perspectives on where the science is headed. Uh, your viewers may enjoy those as well. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, Mike, it's always good to have you. I appreciate you coming back and hopefully soon in uh, you know a year or so, maybe you'll come back again and you'll have like really big news. So I'm glad you came and it'd be an exciting few years. Yeah. We're all, uh, we're all anticipating uh, some really exciting science. You're listening to the future tech health podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.